another episode of Weekly Pop. My name is Emma Sasek, and I'm a reporter with the Desert Sun in Palm Springs. And I'm Kevin Schweller, digital producer at Spectrum News in Milwaukee. And this is it. This is the episode. This is the episode. We're finally here. Unfortunately, once this episode is done, I don't have anything to look forward to for a long, long time, maybe the rest of my life. Yeah, no, there's really nothing to look forward to. I'm very depressed. <laughs> and you had an amazing weekend too that you've also been looking forward to for a long time. So you're getting hit with a double whammy right now. Yeah, this is really shitty. I mean, <laughs> I, I kept calling it, I think, Bar Bonseheimer. <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> I think that's what we said. I couldn't remember the term. Then I learned that most people didn't that went to see Beyonce didn't see Barbie. So, because of the weekend, I was like, oh, yeah, I saw on Wednesday. Like, I, I saw all these already to avoid that this weekend. Right. So, at that point, or at this point, anyway, most people haven't seen Barbie. And I'm like, well. That's wild. Yeah. I'm like, well, what else am I supposed to talk about? <laughs> well, I mean, technically, they could have gone Thursday and Friday night. So, mm. what are they doing? No, that's a good point. I know. <laughs> Some people did. But I just remember at one point, I was just like, oh, nobody around me has seen Barbie. This feels weird. This is not a safe space. <laughs> no, get me out of here now. <laughs> well, we have seen Barbie and Oppenheimer. And so this aptly named episode, Barbenheimer, is about the cultural phenomenon of the century, maybe the millennia, maybe of all human history. No, really. I remember seeing that this is the first time in box office history that two movies opened at the same weekend and made over 80 million dollars or at least made 80 million dollars because usually you know it's just like one big blockbuster and then a couple of mm -hmm. other movies and this is the first time where two blockbusters open at the same time and both did really well mm -hmm. obviously what one doing better than the other but you know kevin will give us the official numbers a little bit later on when we really start talking about each of these movies but yeah it's like the fourth highest grossing weekend ever and mm. It not being like a sequel or a Marvel movie, which is amazing. Greta Gerwig having the biggest opening weekend for a female director ever, which icon right there, but also crazy. And then I'm sure, like you said, both movies getting $80 million, at least at the box office. I mean, I this will be studied for decades to come. Yeah, I mean, Barbenheimer literally was a cultural phenomenon, and I just saw an article actually that was like, here's why, I think it was just Barbie, but it was like, here's why Barbie is, is doing as well as it is, and stuff like that, so it's just like, people are already trying to figure out this giant craze of Barbenheimer, and we are very much here for it. We're here for it. I did see that they're already trying to like recreate it with other movies like Saw and Paw Patrol coming out the same weekend. Saw Patrol. <laughs> Saw Patrol. <laughs> and then I saw when uh, The Dark Knight and Mamma Mia came out back in 2008. Yeah. Someone called it The Dark Llama. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the internet can be fun sometimes. Mama Knight. <laughs> Mama Knight. <laughs> <laughs> well, without further ado, we're ready to jump into it. I think first we have to start with the Barb of Barbenheimer. Barbie! There's, an, there's no other way to do it. <laughs> no. <laughs> so as we said, this film is something that we have literally talked about every single podcast episode. There's been a shout out into it. So we are beyond excited to finally talk about this movie that has been... I guess years and years in the making I feel like just like last year was the height of it especially when all those set photos were dropping but 
I mean, I know like Amy Schumer and Hathaway, all these different people were in talks to either helm the project or play Barbie until it ultimately came down to Greta Gerwig directing and writing it and Margot Robbie starring in it, which is a match made in heaven. <laughs> yeah, I just saw yesterday, Margot Robbie's production company took over from whoever else had it back then with Amy Schumer. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, Greta got involved, like you said, and all that kind of fell into place. And thank God, thank you for your service, whoever out there made this all work. <laughs> Seriously, thank you to Mattel for approving this fucking wild movie. Directed by Greta Gerwig, written by her and her partner, Noam Bombach. Uh, this Barbie is having an existential crisis. Things <laughs> look very fun very pink very matriarch in barbie land at the start of this film so land where i would really love to (laughs) live in and work in and in the background of barbie waking up and starting her perfect day is this really funny lizzo song (laughs) i was our entire theater was cracking up and then i think when she first had her i know i'm jumping into a little bit we, we can go back but um when she had her first like existential crisis moment and then the song played again but it was like the depressed version <laughs> i know she's like oh girl you okay <laughs> <laughs> when she like she like falls while she's like trying to like <laughs> elegantly um jump from her i don't what float from yeah float, float from i guess from her roof. <laughs> <laughs> me saying yeah she jumped off her roof <laughs> <laughs> um but yes all is well in barbie land and their Ken counterparts are just basically walking around in circles waiting for Barbie to say hi to them. That sounds great to me. And Beach. (laughs) And Beach. The line reading from Hari Neff, who's like the Dr. Barbie, she's like, oh, and you do Beach just fine. (laughs) Very Jennifer Coolidge. (laughs) (laughs) Hari Neff was a very fun part of this film, especially uh, a little scene that she has with Ryan later on in the movie. I thought was hilarious. Amazing. Yeah. (laughs) I mean... I mean, also, let's just talk about the Barbies, though. There was obviously Kate McKinnon, and then my MVP was Issa Rae, honestly. Oh, my God. Alexandra Ship, Emma Mackey, hard enough, we said, Sharon Rooney. There's just so many people on top of them. We have all the Kens, and then, of course, America Frere and Will Ferrell. It's just like, all of these people are in this movie, and anyone that's not in this movie was an Oppenheimer. Yes, literally. It was like, how do we pull together half of Hollywood in two movies, and this is how you do it? <laughs> Correct. And basically, Margot Robbie's Barbie, her Ken is obviously Ryan Gosling, who I don't know how long we have to talk about Ryan Gosling's performance in this movie. Oh, God. Um, but he asks what she's doing, and she's like, oh, nothing, just going to have like a huge blowout disco party tonight. And it's all choreographed, and they're dancing to <laughs> Dua Lipa, and Michael Sarah's Alan is just in the corner, just wobbling yeah. around. <laughs> he was really funny, too, actually. He was amazing in this um and then the iconic do you guys ever think about dying Er, record scratch (laughs) and everybody's like somebody in my theater after like that awkward silence they were like no (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile we're like yeah (laughs) yeah all the time girl you get it (laughs) and so she just kind of has to continue on like nothing is wrong and then as kevin pointed out the next morning things start going haywire her shower is cold Although very important to note, there is no water in Barbie land, so it's all pretend. She cannot float off of her roof. Uh, And then the worst thing of all, she has flat feet. (laughs) Oh my God. The reaction to that was so amazing. (laughs) Everybody throwing up. Literally, 
crying, screaming, throwing up. <laughs> Correct. And she has no idea what's going on. So she's like, let's go see Weird Barbie, who is um, Kate McKinnon and <laughs> lives in her own little, it's kind of like her own little, like, I want to say, like, it's obviously it's like a house, but it's like the way they have it set up. It's like she goes off on this, like, journey to, like, the woods, like, this, like, very deserted, scary, ominous era or area. It looks like the Edward Scissorhands castle where it's, like, somewhere far away and then, like, the nice little manicured lawns are just down. (laughs) (laughs) And Kate McKinnon's like, girl, you're gonna have to go to the real world because that means your human, your owner, whatever it is, is going through it. (laughs) We're all going through it. So... She ventures out into the real world with Ryan Gosling, who she didn't initially want him on the trip, but he just comes with it. And they learn very different and very important things. Margot Robbie's Barbie learns that her human, whoever this person may be, is struggling. And they're projecting those depression, anxiety, all these very troubling thoughts onto the doll. And that's how it's breaking through. While Ryan Gosling's Ken learns about the patriarchy and how men have it really well in the real world. And horses. And horses. And how great Century City is, which (laughs) I don't know if I can confirm that or not. (laughs) Yes, the two very quickly learn that women are objectified and sexualized and mistreated and just, you know, how it is and the scene where they, they go up to the construction workers and she's like yeah this is like a very female oriented job like because all the barbies do everything in barbie land and it's a group of like old guys just staring at them like what the fuck <laughs> and they asked them it was like show us what you got and she's like i do not have a vagina and he does not have a penis <laughs> and ken's like i have all the genitals <laughs> <laughs> oh god yeah it was um obviously just a huge 180 for both of them and he learns that he is Kenuff and the patriarchy is thing a thing that exists and in, in this world the, the Kens aren't just circling around waiting for the Barbies to notice them and greet them and literally just say the words hi Ken <laughs> and he gets he what breaks into that school library and gets like 20 books on the patriarchy yes. <laughs> and he decides to take them back to barbie land to share with all the other kens while she is still trying to figure out what's going on with her owner and which we end up learning is america ferrera and not america Ferrera's daughter which i think we all saw coming i didn't think that was right. a, a plot right. twist <laughs> um and america fair is like oh my god i've been doing these drawings of this existential crisis barbie and all this stuff <laughs> and margot robbie's like well knock it off because i need to my life to be normal again because isn't she a stereotypical barbie she is yes she is the beautiful blonde skinny blue-eyed barbie that we all know maybe not love and they get into that they get into what problems barbie might have caused for young women when it comes to body image issues and just um you know setting back the feminist movement several decades according to one of the characters here so barbie goes through it she really gets it handed to her and i do not like seeing margot robbie cry and so i felt so bad for her when she ran away crying i know (laughs) um and then she go to the mattel headquarters and it's it's literally all the men and will ferrell the ceo he's sitting around he's sitting at the head of the table and they're talking about like all these various stereotypical like quote-unquote like girly things they could do that would sell really good products 
when in reality they're just doing it for the money and that's kind of the point of barbie and like you just talked about one of the characters being like barbies are kind of problematic because it's literally just a group of men saying let's do this and have this barbie do this because let's tell girls they can do anything meanwhile they actually can't do anything without men And also Ken realizes he cannot just be a doctor or a businessman. He does need to have an MBA or a PhD or an MD degree for many of these things, which is a shock to him. <laughs> Literally, that scene was so funny when the guys were like, whoever he was talking to at Century City was like, no, we get away with this stuff. <laughs> we, just, we just disguise it a little bit better. <laughs> but yes, they both come back learning something new from the real world uh, in Ken's instance. He makes a patriarchal revolt of Barbie land. I saw somebody write in a tweet or in a letterbox review, where was Ken on January 6th? And that's the vibes that that's giving to me too. That is the exact vibe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Kens have taken over Barbie land and it's what, oh my gosh, what is the name of the house? The, the Mojo Dojo Casa House, my God. <laughs> I just saw a tweet of the Mojo Dojo Casa House, but it was a picture of the midsummer tent. Yeah. <laughs> the yellow there the yellow house. <laughs> um yeah, and it's typical. There's like cowboy artwork and horses. They replace the Barbie heads in the Mount Rushmore and make them horses. horses. <laughs> and there's just it's just a disaster. It's a terrible, like, you know, bro environment, like a dirty man's like college dorm room essentially is thankfully they have more than just like a couch and a tv on the ground i will give them that they have a little bit more style (laughs) they have they have that little fridge yeah i can hold like a six pack of brewskis yes (laughs) oh my god okay i just i need to say it ryan gosling he i'm just (laughs) obsessed with everything that he did in this movie i genuinely Mm. could not stop laughing at him the entire time and i'm sorry the i'm just ken song has been on repeat (gasps) in my brain since wednesday (laughs) yes i'm just ken anywhere else i'd be Be i loved his commitment to both that song and push that's the other one um where he just does those very specific things with his voice to sound angstier and just it's a very clear knockoff i'm like a on a mid like a stereotypical like mid-tempo like rock song of this yeah. guy going like eh, yeah. like yeah, he literally says he did. in push he literally goes i wanna take you for Gronard. Gronard. <laughs> Gronard. <laughs> <laughs> ryan gosling i mean let's just be real he's probably going to win best best supporting actor <laughs> i need it to happen i just need it to happen i cannot i can't i cannot think of anybody else who needs to, to get this award Correct. And it's kind of funny because Ryan Gosling's the reason to go see Barbie, in my opinion, which is just kind of ironic because the whole movie <laughs> is this like giant message on the patriarchy and feminism and putting it in, you know, putting those things into something like Barbie land is so hard to do. And they do it, they stick the landing perfectly, in my opinion. But then I just go back to it the same. I'm like, go see it for the guy. <laughs> you know what I do mean? It. Do it for Ken. Well, I mean, it it's it's hilarious how much she put into his role because in the yeah. we no nobody expected that it was just oh it's just going to be about Barbie and her thing that she's going through, but both of them get to go through different things and uh, with Margot's Barbie, I mean, she gets to finally understand that sure things might be great in Barbie Land, but I think she realizes later on that 
oh, they weren't as great for the Kens and we could have been a little bit nicer to them. And she just also sees that, oh, in human world, things aren't as great and you kind of have to keep persevering through it. And America Ferrera gives like a monologue for the ages uh, about just the different expectations and what people expect from women and what they can never accomplish. And even if they're doing their best, they are still somehow a failure in society's eyes. And that just makes Barbie's head explode, but in a very good way. So I did, I did really like Margot Robbie and like the little character progression that she went through, obviously not as flashy or as exciting as Ryan Gosling's. But um, she did such a good job with this movie. Yeah, she's definitely the heart of the movie. It's kind of weird. I think I texted you this, but it feels like she kind of took the backseat towards the last half of the movie <laughs> because it just became about like all the Barbies trying to, because all the Barbies are basically like, hypnotized almost into becoming like the servants for their Kens and <laughs> giving them Bruce and watching The Godfather, <laughs> as Issa Rae pronounces Godfather. it. Godfather. The Godfather, <laughs> which is also, that was like the funniest thing ever. I was hooting and hollering, but um. Yes, America Ferrera's very powerful speech, which, by the way, my one friend pointed out, I didn't see this, but he said he saw a review that said the monologue was too long. <laughs> and I'm like, well, first of all, no, it's not. But second of all, isn't that the point of a monologue? Is, yeah, you know what right? I mean? <laughs> Meanwhile, the Pearl one was, what, like nine minutes with Mia Goth just sitting at the table. <laughs> so it's like, this was at least, what, maybe 60 seconds. So I'm like, what are you talking about that this was I know. too long? I've also seen some people not really liking that monologue whatsoever. Oh. But I mean, okay, to each their own, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but why? She's right. <laughs> she is right. I don't know. Maybe they're thinking it's too preachy or, uh, I don't know. I think they just feel like it just doesn't go like deep enough. I, I don't know. I, I didn't really look that far into it, but I was like, I mean, okay, that, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to say the issue because I the movie is perfect. But I think the issue people might have with it is that it's already this very niche concept. Like everything about this is so not real. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like bar you're traveling to Barbie land by a boat and bike and by space, like and backwards and all that. So it's like you, you can't take this movie literally as like seriously as you're trying to. So the fact that they kind of use that speech, America Ferris speech, her monologue to like I said, unhypnotize the Barbies and get them to snap out of it and realize, oh yeah, I did get the Nobel Peace Prize. Oh yeah, I did do this, you know, and right. all that stuff. It it might sound a little easy, like easy to do just for in terms of like developing the plot along because what else can you really do? Honestly, you can't have the Barbies like literally killing the cat. And so it's like, well, so I don't know. I, I to me, I'm just like it's a movie. Sit back and enjoy it, and like just take it for what it is. And again, it's specifically about Barbies, so there's not too much I feel like you can really delve into besides what they are showing you and you know just in general the themes like that but why what are you what are you gonna do like do you want to try writing the Barbie movie it was in development hell for 20 fucking years like we just talked about <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly but yeah I mean I people keep saying like I don't know how Greta Gerwig got this to be approved because I mean it is pretty damning on Mattel and like the fact that they had these problematic Barbies until just a few years ago when they actually started making dolls in different body shapes and sizes and all different uh, skin tones and hair textures and all this stuff. Um, so they've had like decades of not doing stuff as they should have. And then obviously like her making fun of like an all white male boardroom and 
like making them super silly this and that like it is it is really incredible that they got this to go through and then every so often I've been seeing certain things like Greta Gerwig had to fight to keep this in or the studio really wanted to take this out like the scene with Barbie and the older woman on the bench who is a costume designer Anne Roth I believe is her name yeah and uh like that was something that the studio wanted to take out and Greta Gerwig was like if I don't have this in here then I don't have the heart of the movie I don't have the thing that I want so I'm so happy that she was able to fight for herself and fight for what she wanted because truly if this movie was done by you know just somebody who wanted to kiss Mattel's ass it would have been like oh fun happy times in Barbie land hee hee and instead it's a very smart script that is so funny and so stupidly hilarious in many different ways but it just like gets at a lot of these issues that we mentioned and talked about in such a poignant way and it's very nuanced and truly only Greta Gerwig could, could do it and I can't believe I ever would have doubted her but now I know never to make that mistake never fuck with Gerwig <laughs> The iconic um, Issa Rae saying not like something, whatever, I don't know what she says, but she calls him a motherfucker, but then the Mattel logo comes up over her yes. mouth and it bleeps it. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they the Mattel really did let them do whatever they wanted, which I think is pretty, that's that's crazy. That's but, iconic behavior. And as they should, they should. They knew they knew what would happen and look at look at the results. It's Barbie is killing it. Literally, it's what mm-hmm. everyone's talking about. Yeah. But um. When America Farah and her daughter and Alan try to escape, and then Alan just starts beating up all of the Kens. <laughs> that I think for some reason that was when I was like, oh, I really should just be just in, like enjoying this and just becoming more like unserious about this because I'm like, what is going on? This is so yes. crazy. <laughs> the movie was definitely a lot more weird than expected and unhinged at certain points, but it's always very controlled and. I think it was just, yeah, like those little things like Michael Sarah going hard, Ryan Gosling just fully showing his energy. And I now fully understand all of the weird things that he's been saying on this press tour. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I also get it. Like he did say that like this was the role that he was meant to play. And honestly, it is. He's unbelievably good. I don't want to. I don't want to say it again. But if you haven't seen Barbie yet, you have to just for Ryan Gosling, <laughs> amongst other things, of course. But um, he's just so great. But all of the Barbies are regaining their power, and they're stopping the Kens from altering the Constitution, which would basically just install the patriarchy into Barbie Land and make it Ken Land, Kendom, Ken whatever it was. Kendom, yeah. Kendom, yes. <laughs> and the Barbies, you know, I think they end up making some changes. Like you talked about, they realize that the Kens are. They could be a little bit nicer to them, whatever. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think they make they like do like equalized treatment for the Kens and all the outcast adults too, like uh, Kate McKinnon Saul. So everyone can be more equal in Barbie Land because that's the ideal situation, unlike the real world. And Barbie and Ken, I, I kind of wanted them to get together, even though I know that wasn't the point of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted them to have like a cute, quick little kiss on the cheek, at least, or something like yeah, that. yeah, hug or you know, meaningful things. Even with that, though, Greta Gerwig was so like, it was clear in her head. She was like, Barbie does not have romantic feelings for Ken, and they make that so clear in this movie. And Mark, like, even during that scene when they're kind of apologizing to each other, he's like, you know, it's still like in love with her, but like trying, like trying to in being this place, like. 
yeah let me go out on my own because she's trying to get him to and he's like sure but also and i'm like like i said like yeah just like a kiss on the cheek or something but like gretiger was like no that's not what's happening here and i'm like okay i get it you're right i love you but (laughs) but that's like us in our own heads like expecting that because of gender roles and what we expect in movies i was playing with the barbies and ken's (laughs) (laughs) um but (laughs) um no really but that's they just their chemistry was so good so it's like i guess that's part of it too where i'm like oh I know. I actually, in interviews, Margot Robbie said that her friends are making fun of her because she didn't kiss Ryan Gosling. And they're like, how did you let this opportunity pass by? Who doesn't want to kiss Ryan Gosling? And who doesn't want to kiss Margot Robbie? It's just like, what yeah. are we doing here, guys? Yes. Just kiss each other. I'll pay I'll pay for another ticket just to watch you guys make out. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the movie ends on a very, very nice lovely note where barbie further thinks about her future and this part got really weird for me i was like okay this is what we're doing all right let's keep it right. going i didn't expect it to necessarily go into this direction but i really like the montage that they played yeah the billy eilish song uh it, it worked out and i yeah. have to say you will never ever guess the last line of this film i Yes, which I think was the final punch. Like we got this. Like we we got this all down because, we like I it. said, for me, uh, just the whole like the Mattel like co-founder with her ghosts being in Barbie Land, and I get like that's where Barbie ran off to in the Mattel. Right. By the time you're kind of like what? I mean, even even in that scene earlier on, you're like you're learning more and more how weird this movie is. But when she came, I was just like, what is going on? But then with the final line of the movie, I was like, yep, they got me. They sold it entirely. No notes. Yep. Round of applause. Stand up, cheering, crying, throwing up. I look past any possible flaw in this movie. And I was just like, this is just an automatic five out of five. <laughs> I don't even think there really is a, like I said, like it's so, the concept is so outrageous. So it's I like, know. it's so weird and just fantastical almost where it's just like, you just have to be along for the ride. Mm-hmm. So there might be parts you might not get or anything but like you can tell that the script is it's all intentional like there's mm-hmm. all a reason behind it and like we talked about with uh it was Greta and her partner Noah Baumbach it I cannot picture that man writing this movie for <laughs> no, the life of me <laughs> I wonder if he was given the reins to the Kendom stuff right oh, honestly I can't even picture Greta Gerwig writing the movie no I it was so unexpectedly funny because like Lady Bird is it has funny moments, but I wouldn't say that it's overall like this huge comedy. Little Women, definitely mm. not a comedy, but like this is just purely every single line. There is something funny or there is some little joke, whatever in there. And it just all works so perfectly well. I just, I don't know how they do it. I do not know how people are that funny, but good for them. <laughs> also, I love that this has been marketed so kind of vaguely where you don't really get the entire plot of the movie, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the double-edged sword of that is there's so many little kids going to this movie but there's so, <laughs> there's like innuendos left and right there's jokes going over little kids and that's all great like I love that I love that stuff and that because now that we're older you know we're laughing and kids are just sitting there and their parents are probably like Ugh. oh god damn but it th- this movie is definitely not for like young children and there's and when I'm saying children I'm literally meaning like four-year-old girls that are sitting there yeah. it's there's so many like innuendos like I said like little sexualized moments here and there and the fact that like all these little kids are going and like parents from across the country especially in, like the deep south and stuff like that taking their kids to see barbie and they're probably sitting there being like oh this is about patriarchy and all that stuff on top of like 
I'll beat you off any day and all that stuff. It's just like, this is so funny to me. <laughs> and literally talking about genitals on the on the boardwalk of Venice Beach. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of Oscar potential, I feel like the production design is a pretty good category for this movie to be in, especially in Barbie land. I mean, that is just so cute and so vibrant and inspired by Palm Springs in some ways. <laughs> I remember, I think my mom asked me if it was on a green screen and I was like, no, because they built all of Barbie land. And you see those behind the scenes pictures and videos of like when they're traveling mm -hmm. to and from Barbie land to the real world. Mm -hmm. And that was on that moving set with like the, yeah. the blocks under the cars, like, yeah. moving under it I was like this is so cool and I feel like that hasn't been used in a movie in like literally decades <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah there was like no CG barely any CGI use for those moments so Ryan Gosling's just floating off somewhere on the back of the spaceship he really did travel to Mars <laughs> uh. no if honestly here, well, here, I don't know if it's, I don't want to say it's funny but It'll be interesting because if for whatever reason the Oscars are not, well, they're going to have to be pausing us anyway because you can't go to promote your movie. Unless if they all sit in silence. Hey. <laughs> I, I mean, whatever happens with this writer strike and all and the SAG strike that we talked about last episode, in theory, though, if all these movies are being delayed, Barbie has already been released and could uh, end up in a couple extra categories that maybe not wasn't you know meant to be in or something like that totally and, I mean, in our opinion we could say it'd be nominated for every single category you know <laughs> what I mean? so but you know there's gonna be there's already like a maybe maybe a slight chance for like a best picture nomination probably towards like the bottom of the list right but if nothing comes out the rest of the year it will go up the list <laughs> it definitely will i mean i think as, i mean it totally should get best picture nomination I, I just agree. because of the phenomenon that it is and it is a great movie uh i don't know how many people in the academy think that i'm putting you off right there if joker can get a best picture nomination which entirely was only because of how well it did in the box office mm -hmm. because let's be real like what what was that this is a box office smash and which we'll yes. get to those numbers later so if again if joker can get nominated for a best picture so can barbie <laughs> It absolutely can. But also, Definitely. sorry, I don't want to pick off again. <laughs> I'm pulling a Ken here. <laughs> um, but Lady Bird and Little Women were also nominated for Best Picture. Yes, they were. And, and was she nominated for both screenplays she, she got and directors for both? Uh, she got Lady Bird screenplay, but or excuse me, directing, but she did not get Little Women directing. Uh, nom. But, well, that's ridiculous. First of all, yeah. Second of all, so anyway, she's already up there, and the Academy loves Greta Gerwig, so they made that very clear. So. Mm -hmm. We, we could see it depending on how the rest of this year goes <laughs> yeah i mean they what they announced like dune part two might be delayed and that i mean the first one was a huge contender at the oscars and it won a bunch of oscars too so like that goes away and this uh, morning i just saw something was delayed till december 31st oh um i forgot what it was was it the poor things i did see that oh yeah things. it was poor things it was poor things. oh yeah it was i know and then they also delayed they might be delaying the color purple Mm -hmm. and that was also probably going to be like a huge contender with yeah. acting and all these Big different one. yeah all these different ones so i mean it very well could easily make its way into the uh, best picture race as it already should uh greta definitely should get a screenplay nomination totally should get a director nomination based on just how wild and absurd this movie mm. is um, and then, yeah, I think production design, costumes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. 
and I, I, I need to run the Ryan Gosling Best Supporting Actor campaign. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even we could even just include some of the songs from the soundtrack. Oh my God. Yeah. Makeup and hair styling is an easy lock-in too. But mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling is. We're gonna have to push this all the way to the. Whatever happens with the Academy and with any awards that are coming up, you know, later on in the year and early next year, we're just gonna have to keep this train running as long as we can. <laughs> yes, we will. So what are the official opening weekend box numbers, box office numbers? I believe Barbie made over $160 million its opening weekend. That's awesome. Which is crazy. And I think it was predicted to make, uh, I believe, just over 100. Mm-hmm. Like it was like 90 to 100 something. Mm-hmm. So it surpassed that by miles. It was really fun to see so many people wearing pink at the movie theater that I was in and just living their life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and also even just after this really historic box office, we can just seeing every single like achievement that Barbie made. Like Barbie actually is now the highest grossing film that came out that didn't have a IMAX screen. Right. It beat the Twilight Saga New Moon oh. <laughs> and the Twilight Saga Breaking Down Part 1, which is oh. why I'm, now I'm like, wait, why was Twilight not on IMAX, you guys? What's going on? <laughs> Give me Twilight and IMAX. Why didn't they shoot a Twilight in 70 millimeter IMAX film? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I think you already talked about it, but Barbie has surpassed Captain Marvel to score the biggest opening weekend for a female director. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally every single like you said, non-superhero movie or a remake. I mean, you have like every Disney live action movie and then you have like all the Avengers movies and any just superhero movie. I'll take all those out. Barbie has literally been number one right and left, like literally down the line of any achievements. Barbie is up there now. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome. It's great to see not just this movie, but the next movie that we're also going to be talking about pulling in people and both of them are, I mean, original stories. Yes, they're adapted screenplays, but you know what I mean. They're not, things that are necessarily coming from other movies um so yeah I mean it was just really fun to see that and to see the packed theaters and everything so it was a good weekend one of the to me it's funny one of the other achievements that Barbie made was like highest opening for a film about a toy and I'm like okay I'm sorry (laughs) but what what else are we going on here we're doing the Lego movie we're doing probably maybe Toy Story Do Transformers count as toys? Yeah, probably. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, yeah, still, that's not, I'm like, okay, that's cool, I guess. But <laughs> whatever, though, like, yeah, like, talk about just, like, everyone going in pink and just people lined up like crazy. My mom, my parents went to see it this, this past Sunday, and there were so many people still dressed up and living their Barbie fantasy. And my mom was like, it's kind of like a cult. I was like, yeah, it is. It's the only good cult that I'll ever join. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, and I'm in it. <laughs> So I already said that I gave this movie a five out of five. What is your official rating for Barbie? It's a, it's a five out of five. It's literally a perfect movie. It'll probably be my favorite movie of the year. I really don't see anything surpassing it. I mean, we'll see, but I really hope not because I would like to keep my letterbox like <laughs> if I ranked like as Barbie as number one. <laughs> and then you get the Barbie photo at the end of your year. Correct. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, it's, know, it's... we know what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully by the time this episode comes out, more people that I know will have seen Barbie so they can listen and share their thoughts too because I'm like I need to talk about this movie yes yes you do and when we come back we are switching over to the Heimer discussion of this Barbenheimer weekend (laughs) with Oppenheimer 
before we even talk about who directed this movie, who's in this movie, all this stuff, to me, I didn't want to say it like out loud to anybody. I thought Albert Einstein died in like the 1600s or something. I was like, every time they went back to see this man, I'm like, he's alive still. I was like, he's alive during World War II. <laughs> and then I remember right after the movie, before I did anything, I Googled when he died. And I was like, what was it? I think it was, hold on. I think it was 1955. It was 1955. Look at you. <laughs> so that was the very first thing where I'm like, what? Anyway, <laughs> now that I got that off my chest. <laughs> anyway, we lived we lived in a world where <laughs> Albert Einstein was alive at the time of the development of the atomic bomb and not at the painting of the Sistine Chapel or <laughs> things further. I thought he was around when they were like making the United States flag. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, very good. <laughs> Opp Oppenheimer is a 2023 biological thriller film directed by Christopher Nolan, who did The Dark Knight and uh, Tenet and that one movie that I still didn't see with Harry Styles. Dunkirk uh, and Dunkirk. Inception. And Inception. Oh, yes, 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 yes. That's yes. a good one. Um, <laughs> and it, it basically tells the story of J. Robert Oppenheimer. And whenever they called him Oppie, I was like, that's fun. I want to. That's actually... Like, that's actually the Nifkin name I've been calling this movie the entire time. Oppie. Oppie. <laughs> uh, the film takes place in like a non-linear timeline where it's his growing up and his upbringing and how he kind of became the father of the atomic bomb uh, to his security hearing, which we'll get into all that nonsense. And then Robert Downey Jr., who was amazing in this. Okay, I keep jumping the shark and just talking about things, but he was so good. Um, and his um, confirmation hearing in the 50s. So there's like three different timelines going on. And... I didn't get why that character Strauss, I don't get why that was in black and white. Because that was the most recent in terms of timeline, that was the most recent one. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't really tell you about that decision either. Maybe it was just to make things more clear to audience members because there are a lot of people in this movie and there is so much talking. And if you don't pay attention, you're going to be like, wait, who is that again? What are they talking about? So I do commend him for giving us at least visual clues to know yes. <laughs> when yes. something was happening. But pretty much if it was in black and white, it was kind of the present in terms of like the Senate hearing that is dealing with Louis Strauss, Robert Downey Jr.'s character and then everything in color is kind of Oppenheimer reflecting going back and thinking about stuff from the past a little weird because it's kind of opposite but that's okay but also I'd rather see but the most of the movie is Oppenheimer anyway so yes. I'm okay with not seeing a movie entirely in black and white so yeah yes. I'm all good with that but like you talked about there's so many characters it's Killian Murphy he is Oppie we have Emily Blunt Matt Damon <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. Florence Pugh Casey Affleck Rami Malek it's just like Every single person who has been in a uh, Christopher Nolan film somehow made their way into this. Yeah, I mean, I, there's just so much to get into, I guess. It's just mm -hmm. members of the Communist Party and Florence Pugh and her boobs and just... <laughs> <laughs> and crying on the floor and then Emily Blunt folding sheets. Um, wait when she was holding, when she was like looking up and I was like oh that was in the trailer <laughs> it's happening isn't it <laughs> <laughs> um no there's just so much to even oh my god this is hard okay I know the movie starts off with uh Oppenheimer in school 
He was not the most gifted student academically, it seemed. However, he knew how to understand physics, which, I mean, it makes one of us in on this podcast. Uh, and, you know, a few years down the line, he was selected to start some type of physics school at uh, some other school, I suppose. He was starting some program. Uh, and he got all these students, blah, 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 until one day he was approached by Matt Damon's Leslie Grove to tell him that he needs to be recruited to make some weapon for the United States during this time, which the film like never really goes into what is really happening during the world. Mm -hmm. You have to really know your history to know that, you know, September 1st, 1939 is when World War II started. And it's already been some time into the war at that point where the United States is contemplating using a weapon of mass destruction, which is later known lovingly as the atomic bomb. <laughs> and at the time, there's kind of rumblings of the Nazis possibly having, you know, nuclear weapon technology. So, and Oppenheimer is Jewish, so I think he's a little more driven by that at the time, and which would de that definitely gets into how long it took and how it ended up being used later on and how guilty he was and all that. But um, that whole, just the whole beginning of this movie is so hard to follow. It's really long too. And I feel like a lot of it honestly could have been cut. Uh, I it, think most of the first half could have been cut. It really could have. If you kept the rest of it, like the lat, like ever leading up to the bomb to the end of the movie, I thought no notes, but mm -hmm. it's just so, I remember texting you, it cuts to who is talking in the conversation 43 times mm -hmm. in like the span of like 20 seconds. And then it cuts to a totally different scene. Then I get that you have to only capture like the highlights because there's so much story to tell. I totally get that. Yeah. But then the last half of the movie is kind of just one plot. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then that it's a lot easier and a lot more interesting, I think, to follow. But this beginning, it's like he meets someone, they talk, and it's cutting back and forth and they're having mm -hmm. the quickest dialogue ever. And then it jumps mm -hmm. to the literal next thing. And it's like, you're getting whiplash almost you are and yeah in the beginning it's really hard to know why three different like timelines have anything to do with each other like in his security clearance hearing that's when he's like reflecting on a lot of things and then we see like those events play out and then like I said he meets like 50,000 different white guys <laughs> in the span of this movie and you're just like wait who which one is this which one's Teller which one's Borden which who is all these people mm. and then when the black and white stuff comes in you're confused how that has to do with anything because that's a whole different character and a whole different senate hearing confirmation process that you're just like wait what so I was very I was very much like using a lot of brain activity during this film to know and understand the connections here. I guess eventually he assembles his group of Avengers who are going to make the <laughs> atomic bomb. I mean, there's really not a whole lot of physics going on. I kind of was interested to learn any idea of how they thought of some of this stuff. And, and it kept cutting to them building the bomb, you know, that, that shot of it zooming. Oh my slowly. God, yeah. But I agree. I'm like, wait, I want to know, like, how to make an atomic bomb. <laughs> not that <laughs> I'm did, trying to make anything myself. Nolan, <laughs> why did Christopher Nolan not teach every single audience member how to make an atomic bomb? I know. That's really rude of him. But I would just like to know a little bit more than like, oh, an atom, I don't know, is separated. I'm like, well, what does that mean? It's the Jennifer Lawrence. What do you mean? What, what do you mean? mean? What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> 
I thought it was so cool though when they were talking about shit that just went away over my head I'm like huh but then it cuts to like what it looked like you know mm-hmm. like the fusion like the fire and all that stuff like that mm-hmm. was nice to see but then it was so loud too you're just sitting there like a normal scene all of a sudden it's like ah! and you're like <laughs> <laughs> yes I think the best scene and the one that really plays into Christopher Nolan's strengths is the trinity test scene it starts off with you see the shot of them assembling the thing. He is so good at doing these action sequences and editing them mm-hmm. so precisely because you have this music in the background. You have people sweating and panting and being anxious about something. And then you just have things that you don't understand happening. And then there's also this looming threat of, oh, maybe if we set this off, we might actually destroy the world just in this test, let alone actually dropping two bombs on the on japan later on in history uh but that sequence was like my heart was pounding mm-hmm. during that <laughs> and then they showed in the trailer but when he's like a near zero chance of anything bad happening and then matt damon's like near zero how about zero and then Oppenheimer was like it's theory what do you want <laughs> that's all we can that's all we can get but yeah that entire sequence and then just having josh peck be the one to <laughs> to literally press the button and detonate the bomb i was like really of Ooh. all people it's josh peck that's <laughs> that's doing this but yes that that sequence was insane and just the zoom in on the clock on the countdown too where you're just sitting there like and then it cuts to them like putting on the sunglasses and like getting those like reflectors out and putting sunscreen on yeah it was just like seeing all that stuff that i would not have thought about too so it's just like it was so cool to see it and like you talk about christopher nolan's a master at doing that things went off with a blast as they say (laughs) I was sitting there the entire time holding my ears and first it was quiet you just see the light and then I was like wait light travels faster than sound oh shit and then it started rumbling that was so fucking sick and I hate saying that that's so gross it's like I hate like oh that's sick bro but that was so sick like you're sitting there expecting you're sitting there expecting this loud bang and I also was covering my ears and then it's just complete silence and then it all happens and you're just like ah (laughs) after this test America considers this a success they ship off some bombs they know that they're going to be using them not on the Germans as was originally thought but now on Japan who later entered World War II I love that this movie, because for me, I was like, where's this going to go? Because I know Christopher Nolan's not going to make this pro-patriotic, yay, America did a good thing by killing millions of people thing. So I like that it showed that one scene where they're sitting around in a small room and they're like, well, which city do we want to test it on? And then the, the one guy is like, oh, well, we can't do it here because I love it. My wife and I trip went there on our honeymoon. Yes. And it's just like they are so inconsiderate for the fact that they're just going to kill hundreds of thousands of people, if not mm-hmm. more. And it was like, oh, yeah, well, let's pick, we have a list of, like, cities we can tr- test it out on. It's like, seeing yeah. that is something else you didn't really think about, too. Yeah. So you're just kind of getting, like, the nastiness, you know, the, the behind-the-scenes stuff that was going on, too. There was just no care for human life. I mean, you know, it's one thing if you're boots-on-the-ground army fighting, which I, I don't like whatsoever. <laughs> which we're still like, no. Which I don't like. But to throw this onto a city where people are just trying to live their life is just truly one of the most awful atrocities that has ever been committed, which is why this film was made. Afterward, the bombs are dropped and it does effectively end the war, but it also kills thousands and thousands of people and like puts this really just emotional weight on Oppenheimer because then he has to grapple with the fact that he 
is known as the father of the atomic bomb and you know he is like i caused this i mean my my brain power my work and all of this was caused to kill all of these people and i really wished that the movie was more so focused on that rather than cutting back and forth between like these meetings and procedural court stuff and i I just anytime we were able to be in like his head, like that one scene where he's delivering that speech into that gymnasium, that it was such a good scene because like you're seeing these awful, literally someone's skin peeling off and like the sound like shattering his eardrums and him just not being able to say these super patriotic things. And then there's the scene with the president. (laughs) I was just about to bring that up, the scene with Truman and Oppenheimer sitting there saying, you know, let's maybe not make more nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. And Oppenheimer says something and Truman's like, hands him his little handkerchief remember that because mm-hmm. he was like i don't want to see this man crying in my office yeah stop being like, like a crybaby yeah essentially that was it and it was just like oh and like like we talked about like seeing those behind the scenes situations and seeing how nasty people can be mm-hmm. uh that i think that was one of my more the, when those things were happening for me i'm like oh i like where this is i like where this is going now and like you were talking about i wish we might have gotten into more of like the Oppenheimer's like ptsd and his mindset and things like that but I thought that the way it went worked where I was really interested in how everything would turn out because mm-hmm. as I pointed out previously, I didn't even know Albert Einstein was alive during all of this. So I was like, huh, where is this going to go? What's what's the end goal here though with like all this like rumblings and these secret meetings and these plans to, you know, spin everything on him. I'm like, okay, but he's not going to, he's not going to like prison. He's not going to be executed. Like, yeah. what, you know what I mean? So I'm like, yeah. just to get rid of his, take away his, his security detail or whatever it was. I'm like, okay, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of those things I was like, okay. Yeah. I mean, he's not being treated nicely anymore because he actually has a conscious, uh, maybe a couple of years too late, but uh, all these other people are just so nasty to him and they want to discredit him. And I mean, there's a lot of things that he has to grapple with, too. I mean, he's on the cover of Time magazine and all these different giving all these interviews and being hailed as this hero. And yet he doesn't want that necessarily. It's like an interesting cognitive dissonance going on with him. Mm-hmm. And I think you were, you did talk about it, how you do have to know your know your history here because yes immediately after world war ii which they even said in the movie that world war ii didn't end that the cold war just started instead yes so you have to remember that the cold war is right around the corner (laughs) and so they're talking more about you know the soviet union and it's going back into oppenheimer's possible connections to the communist party and he is learning very quickly that this is all being set up to take him down and They gave him. They set him up with a good lawyer, but the lawyer even. I love that. I like. That's when I was really like into it because the lawyer looking at him like they're fucking you over, dude. Like he's like, I got nothing. <laughs> and they're getting people to testify, and people are testifying in his favor, but they're still just trying to spin this. And that is when Miss Emily Blunt comes in, Ooh. and you're and he's like, oh, she, she'll be here. Don't worry, I got this. And Emily Blunt plays his wife, by the way. If we didn't say that, Kitty, <laughs> and she comes. He's like, yeah, she got this. She's coming in. Like, don't worry about it. And she sits down and she's like kind of fumbling a little bit and they're asking her questions about her history and her connections to the communist party and all this stuff like back in their early days when she first met opie 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 <laughs> whatever it is and she immediately just starts dragging these men right and left and <laughs> she's leaving like blood on the battlefield like crumbs like and she's just eating it up it's just like 
oh my god it was so fun to watch i literally and at that point the movie is we're over two hours into this movie so i'm like sitting back a little bit more than i probably would and i'm just like i'm tired i sat up so quickly when she got good. <laughs> i was and like the audience you could hear like people were like giggling, snapping like, their oh, fingers yeah, and yeah, everything yeah. yeah it was so that was my literal favorite scene of the entire movie and yeah. it sealed the last half for me entirely no she was fantastic and yeah after that that's when you start to realize how the black and white stuff kind of fits into all of this uh you learn that strauss robert downey jr's character he always felt like oppenheimer was turning the scientific community against him there's one scene that's teased very early on in the film where oppenheimer and einstein are talking and then einstein leaves and passes strauss and strauss wants to say something to him but einstein entirely ignores him so right. in that so in that moment strauss is like he must have said something to einstein to have to turn him against me and there's a great scene at the end with um the guy who was in solo if you remember that uh star wars yes, Han solo yes, yes, movie yes. like the entire black and white stuff strauss is like talking about how much he hates oppenheimer how much he discredited him and humiliated him and that actor turns to him and he was like did you ever think that maybe they weren't even talking about you whatsoever in that moment that it was something way more important and then you finally they finally show the last scene in the film is that conversation and it was a really good note to end on because it once again ties back into the future of this world now that these weapons exist and honestly what we all are freaking out about every time we see some news article about this country testing its missiles or testing out a launch thing and it's just like ah we really are the destroyers here Ah." yeah then there was that scene towards the end with strauss's trial where rami malik comes in and i'm like oh yeah what is his job here in this movie because he's doing nothing but then that is when we're learning that you know the scientific community does in fact hate strauss and a lot of people hate this man and his senate confirmation is basically fucked over entirely mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah the actor from solo was like dude you suck <laughs> you do suck yeah we learned that strauss pretty much put together that security clearance meeting and never would have given Oppenheimer a chance to succeed in it and uh yeah there's just there are really good things that last half and specifically those final 30 minutes which includes Emily Blunt's scene and the final senate stuff it's why it's why I wish that like some of things from like honestly the first hour like could have been removed I hate to say it Florence Pugh really was not given anything to do in this movie other than to be just a hysterical naked woman (laughs) I was going to talk about this after we did the summary of the movie but I've been seeing like people have been like Robert Downey Jr. and Florence Pugh are the knockouts of this movie and I'm like Florence Pugh does nothing in this movie and I love her we love her but her entire character could have been taken out. She really could have. Nothing happened. There was literally no reason for her to be there. I did love when she, spoiler, drowned herself. Um, (laughs) Emma just still got her tongue. (laughs) Um, When she does, and and, uh, Oppenheimer's world is like shaken, and he goes out into the woods, and Emily Blunt follows him. She's like, what is going on with you? Fucking relax. Yeah, and then she's basically, she's like, get a grip, stand up, and let's go. You (laughs) got a bomb to build, babe. Right, right. <laughs> Oppenheimer ends up getting some kind of award from Lyndon B. Johnson. And there was a shout out to John F. Kennedy for also not voting for Strauss, which I thought was so fun that they were like, oh, yeah, this up and coming guy who's trying to make a name for himself. His name is Kennedy or something. And I was like, oh, that was good. We'll always have Camelot. 
Oh, God. It's a Natalie Portman theme episode coming soon. <laughs> and it was kind of like a political, like, rehabilitation of Oppenheimer's image because they're like, all right, yeah, we ruined this man's life. Let's give him an award for helping us. And then that one guy wants to shake Oppenheimer's hand and he shakes it. But then he tries to shake Emily Blunt's hand. She's like, no. He's like, absolutely not. You discredited my husband during that meeting. Nope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so if they if they stuck to a lot of the last the elements of the last half and trimmed down, like you said, the first hour would have been a much more exciting experience, I feel like. Once the Trinity test happened, I was like, all right now it's going to get good and then it still had a lot of lulls for me and I was just like I was like this movie is way different than what I anticipated which is never I mean that's not bad Barbie Mm -hmm. was way different than than anticipated but it's also three hours long and it's hard to sell a three hour long movie unless you're like really into it from the beginning you feel the lulls at some points but yeah I mean the acting is still so so good Cillian Killian Murphy did an outstanding job with this movie and he looked terrifying I mean what I read that he like only ate almonds <laughs> while filming this role when that one character early on when he was on the train he was like you need to eat something I was like yeah you do this yes, man looks like it's Cindy this is bones <laughs> it's Calissa Frockhart <laughs> <laughs> um no he was amazing and uh when you talk about the last scene earlier when we do see the conversation, I was like, that was such a good way to end the it movie. It was so, so good. Great way to tie in just how deep this movie is. But yeah, when you see amazing potential with Florence Pugh just wasted in like the most stereotypical, hysterical woman who also is like, I want you, but I don't want you type stuff. I was like, Ugh. And then when they're trying to use that against him later in the trial, in his <laughs> yeah. trial, I'm like, Again, this could have been cut out, though. Like, that's the... Because they're clearly, again, setting him up for failure regardless. So you don't need this one specific example from his early days. You could just cut that entire little subplot out and save us, at the very least, seven minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Also, you know, in the beginning, they showed him in school and, like, him trying to poison his teacher. Yeah, that could have been cut out, especially because uh, Kenneth Branagh's character showed up in that scene and then showed up at one point later on. And I that was it. And I was just like who cares i'm sorry i didn't need to see this This, these are necessary cuts (laughs) no really i think what the most we saw besides killian murphy was probably robert downey jr Mm -hmm. and maybe matt damon he kind of disappears too (laughs) he disappears a little bit afterwards since you know i guess the war is over they don't necessarily need him but matt damon was actually a really nice welcome addition to the movie i liked the i like that it wasn't always heavy scientific stuff it was just him being like what are you trying to tell me? I do not understand. Tell me in ways that I understand. And I'm like, me too. Thank Literally, you. The, the audience is like, yeah, keep yeah. going. <laughs> <laughs> I do wish that there was a little bit more with Emily Blunt's character, just because she also is kind of like a hysterical mom who hates her kids. <laughs> I think, I think, <laughs> no, really. I mean, those kids also seem really allowed. And that was a so lot. I get it. I, if there was honestly my number one thing for this movie, if you were going to, keep it the same amount of time three hours whatever if you're going to do anything it would be giving emily blood more to work with because like i said that that scene was my favorite of the entire movie mm-hmm. and you're sitting the entire movie like do they even like each other you know like the, like we just don't have enough of development between them as husband and wife not at all but in reality you know they say they stuck through it all together but in my head i'm like oh he doesn't seem that interested in her no. and she seems really fed up with everything 
she has to fucking fold laundry and put it outside on the clothespin. Right. So it's like, in my mind, I'm like, if we're going to keep this runtime, yeah, cut some stuff here and there and just give her more to work with, especially because she is, by the very like loosest term of the word, like she is the, the leading female role of this film, despite mm-hmm. her literally being in it for maybe 19 minutes of right. the three hours. But that would, I think, give it more heart too, on top of like you talked about maybe getting to his psyche a little bit more post- mm-hmm bomb drop so that would just been a little more to like I guess humanize the situation yeah why couldn't we have seen him at home like racking mm-hmm. his brain around everything that happened I mean we had a little bit of it like in the office where he was like no one's telling me anything was it used until they got the news report that an atomic bomb was dropped and yeah it just I just needed more of knowing anything about them too that we only had one scene where they were like flirting with each other but they weren't even married at that point so right right so i don't know did you see that killian murphy did an interview and someone asked about barbenheimer and he was basically like yeah you should go see both movies on the same day they're both great movies and i was like yeah yeah i think margot, I think margot robbie said the same thing someone did from barbie it was like go see both movies do it <laughs> yeah i mean tom cruise he, he had tickets oh, for yes, both of those did. movies he really mm. started off the trend so good for him good for scientology for doing that he had to do something right <laughs> I yeah I don't know I kind of I really did want to see it on IMAX but the timing just didn't work out but at the same time I'm at a place with Oppenheimer where I definitely do want to watch it again but also because now that we know like again we're kind of confused in the beginning and then it all makes sense later on and I get that's probably the point but it's like eh. now that I get it and I understand what's going on in the timelines and at the very least have an understanding of who the characters are <laughs> mm-hmm. um I want to and I want to experience it on IMAX and I, I'm okay with the loudness I'm all for it but at the same time I'm like I kind of want to just, like fast forward through a lot of the beginning but then if I'm watching it at home, you know I'm not going to be paying attention to that movie. No, you're not. <laughs> so it's like it's like you, I kind of like I kind of want to go see it while it's in theaters. But did you see? Did you see Christopher Nolan had this like giant list of demands that he made for Universal? No, I didn't. I need to pull these up. I was actually really. I was like, this is it's kind of crazy, but I think it's really cool. And I don't think Christopher Nolan's like a problematic person, right? I so, not that I am aware of. From what I see here. Nolan requested an equal marketing budget as well as total creative control, 20% of first dollar gross, and a blackout period from which the studio wherein the company would not release another movie three weeks before or three weeks after his release. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I was reading about it. I was like, that's crazy. But also, because I'm like, okay, it sounds kind of intense. But like I said, like, we don't know. We think he's a decent white man, right? (laughs) I mean, he's very respected. And yeah. he's got great movies. I actually just rewatched Inception the other day, and that still remains my favorite Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan movie. I have to tell you, I spent the entirety of Sunday racking my brain around every possible like plot hole or loophole that would suggest this person's dreaming, or we're actually in this person's dream, or <laughs> actually, Maul didn't die. She is awake, and she's trying to get Leonardo DiCaprio to wake up. <laughs> I went through it on Sunday, but that is a solid script and it plays into his strengths, as I said, with action movies and all of these high pace energy sequences that he has. And when it comes to a lot of the talking that makes up pretty much all of Oppenheimer, felt like he kind of had to pull back on on himself, except he did 
he did go off with the Trinity test. I'll give him that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, wait, no, I'm going to watch Inception again. Oh, you should. Oh, God, it's so great. And I'm going to watch Interstellar very soon, too, because that's also just, a very good one. I was just talking about Interstellar for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> whatever. Mm. Uh, no, it is a good one. Uh, but no, there's so many things in like his demands for uh, Oppenheimer where I'm like, I would this would never have crossed my mind. So this man clearly understands what he's doing. He's like, yeah, I want this and this and this, and you're going to do all that. And they're like, yeah, we will. And I'm like, that's great. He was also really angry that Tenant ended up going onto HBO Max's streaming platform, which is kind of like the root of why he left Warner Brothers to go to Universal. And here I'm reading that he requested at least a 100-day theatrical window for Oppenheimer slash, you know, oh, working yes. with Universal. So, I mean... We can wait a little bit to see Oppenheimer since apparently it'll be in theaters for almost three months, if not more. Yeah, I remember the, the everything with Tenet, but that was also such a messy time too. That was that when was COVID. Come out, 2020 or 2021? 2020, like September 2020. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I remember I saw it at AMC and I remember they had like the um they had little pieces of paper on the seats to spread people out and like you can't sit here. Mm-hmm. Those were those were good times. but yes Oppenheimer ended up also doing decently well in the box office and it got amazing reviews it I think I don't know if there were predictions I think it was supposed to be I think there were 40 to 50 right yeah 50 60 like that being the highest then it made 80 over 80 so thank you Barbenheimer phenomenon (laughs) seriously and like at the global box office both movies just like have what like over 200 million dollars at this point which they deserve it and I am so glad so many people are getting paychecks especially during this time of WGA and SAG strikes mm-hmm. absolutely I love when our episodes intertwine together <laughs> I plan on re-watching both Barbie and Oppenheimer Barbie a few more times than Oppenheimer but uh, yeah, I, I, I'd like to see how now that I know what to expect with Oppenheimer, how that viewing might be different because I'm currently at a three and a half out of five. I felt, I mean, I went into it with such high expectations because of the fact that everybody was like, oh my God, you're going to go crazy when you see this movie. This is the best Christopher Nolan movie ever. And then I was just like, eh, it's I mean, good. the trailer the trailer does set it up to be something that it's not. And yeah, there's a lot going on. But I don't know. I just think upon rewatch, I would probably like it even more. But I was along for the ride most of the time. The beginning was hard, but when it got to a better place, I was okay with the direction it went in. I The whole Strauss thing, I didn't get at the time, like we were talking about, like, what does this have to do with anything? Then that all comes, it all works out in the end. And the script is really smart for that, but it is just such a delayed process to get there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, a certain editing and the acting was amazing. Honestly, I think I gave it a four and a half. I might, I might go down to a four, but mm. maybe keep it at four and a half if I rewatch it again. I don't know. It's but... so good. It's still a good movie. I mean, there's no denying that. Yeah, no, I mean, I had a really good time with it. And I was really happy that it did kind of turn into this like almost like espionage, like thriller moment for the last half, which we weren't expecting. But mm. yeah, for me, it just worked. I thought, um, you know, just it's no movie should be three hours long but if you're gonna do it i guess you can be christopher nolan also christopher nolan could cut out at least half an hour but you know i suppose <laughs> we'll let the, him have total control <laughs> the half an hour is the half star that i didn't give it there you go <laughs> but yeah no i mean i feel like it did so much better than it was supposed to because of barbenheimer yeah it did i mean how how often is it that people are 
willingly spending like 20 plus dollars to watch a movie in IMAX, first and foremost, let alone a three hour heavy adult war drama movie. I don't know how this movie would have done without Barbenheimer and just this genius like joke turned into perfect marketing ploy that it became. I don't know how either movie would have done. I still feel like more people would have shown up for Barbie, but just the two of them together and them being truly total opposites on the spectrum, but still being very, very good and created by very talented people. Like it's just, it's a, it's, it's just a very fun thing. I did buy a Barbenheimer shirt. Oh yeah, you did. It's not the best quality, but that's okay. It's a little souvenir <laughs> for this weekend. <laughs> yeah, this was um oh. We're not gonna, yeah, we really do have nothing to look forward to now. Oh, <laughs> oh God. Um, yeah, I think I, I in theory, I would want to go see both again. I obviously want to see Barbie 14 more times, um, especially 15. in years, 15, 17. <laughs> um, and I do want to give Oppenheimer another chance, but that being said, I just give it a four and a half out of five. I just want to see it again because I feel like now that, like, if we talked about, we get it on a basic level more now, it's like, okay, I now know that Albert Einstein was alive during all of this. <laughs> that, helps like quite that. that helps yeah. quite a bit wait till you hear about Pablo Picasso also being alive during that time wait was he oh shit wait I think I have a birthday with him oh really he died uh 1973 October 25th 1881 yeah. Jesus wow. Christ that man lived through a lot can you imagine how weird his life must have been living in the <laughs> 1800s living 19 years in the 1800s and then 73 years in the 1900s and seeing so much technological change war war another war no sleep atomic bomb albert einstein <laughs> oppenheimer the creation of barbie dolls yeah he he lit he was the original barbenheimer he saw it Aww, he was the first fan <laughs> Aw. Love you, Pablo. <laughs> this will also definitely be an Oscars move. This will be, I oh mean, my God. This is going to be a bigger one than Barbie. But yeah, we're going to get, this is going to get Best Picture nomination, mm -hmm. no doubt. If not, potentially win. I don't know. We'll see by the, we'll see how things go, like we talked about later on in the year. Mm -hmm. um Directing, of course, probably, I think, wasn't this an adapted? It was based yes. on a book, right? Yes. Killian okay. Murphy's locked in for He's locked nomination. In. Robert Downey Jr. I feel like is locked yeah. in. We might have, I think, I hope Emily Blunt gets in for that one scene. Uh, and yeah, I feel like cinematography, production design, score, the score is so good. Score. The score was amazing. Yeah. Maybe costumes, maybe like all these different all technical of, yeah. things. Yeah, it's very, it's going to be a technical. <laughs> it's going to get all those just for that part alone. Um, it oh, could well. finally be Christopher Nolan's time to win an Oscar since he has continuously been either snubbed or just lost any time he has been nominated. Did you know he was not even nominated for Best Director for Inception, which is probably one of the best directed films of all time? Oh, my God. Really? Yes. yes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And he didn't he, he was nominated for screenplay, but it didn't win, even though that is like probably the tightest script you could have ever yeah this is just me becoming an inception stan after <laughs> my brain being turned into mush for like the umpteenth time that i've watched this movie revisiting yeah you're in your christopher nolan era <laughs> yeah no that's crazy how does he not get best director i don't know 
Shit. Okay. Yeah. I mean, okay. I mean, guess any final thoughts on Oppenheimer, Barbenheimer, Barbie, all the above, any combo? I, I did get a Barbie doll the other day and uh, I'm going to be playing with her quite a bit after this. <laughs> I'm going to remember the high of Barbenheimer through that doll. <laughs> I got an I Heart Barbie pin and a, a Barbie movie poster and I kind of want to frame the poster. That is so cute. I love all those little things that you got during the Barbie blowout party. Mm-hmm. And my bull is having a Barbie party this week too. So everything's great in everything's Barbie, Barbie Everything's great in Barbie land. <laughs> <laughs> When we come back, we are going to share what our What's Popping are for this week. So, Kevin, please grace us with your What's Popping for this week. I don't know if people can tell. I don't. I guess it kind of came back. At first, it was weak. My voice mm-hmm. is kind of shot. Um, I went to the Renaissance World Tour on Ooh. Saturday and Sunday, and Beyonce is, I don't know, between Beyonce and Barbenheimer, I really, truly have nothing else to look forward to in my life at this point, and the worst part is, I'm not even like 30 years old, and I've experienced the best concert I'll ever go to, <laughs> so it's like, nothing else, the only person that can really outdo them is Beyonce, Mm-hmm. so it's like that's all i have i mean no if like literally anybody else could come out and people that i love like if britney spears went on tour or started something up again i would absolutely go see it it's not going to be the renaissance world tour no beyonce can literally do it all and great doing it and there were a lot of complaints about the not i don't know about complaints but people were saying she wasn't dancing as much and i was like who cares she's she's proven to be an excellent actually in everything she does <laughs> i have seen many videos of the renaissance world tour and the parts where she is dancing she's giving it and mm-hmm. i don't think you can deliver powerhouse vocals like that as you are like gasping for air after dancing so yeah. you're, she's kind of prioritizing one over the other while still giving you both and the thing is with renaissance though it's so fun because it was very futuristic so she had this like robotic two I don't know how to describe it two kind of like mirrors almost Mm -hmm. so they were she was like moving and they were moving with her you know and then I don't really understand the point of them but then during the song heated she had like robotic fans like giant machines of of, like a giant (laughs) fan and they were just like fanning and just she yeah she was riding the horse on the album cover at the end of the concert flying over the audience and then I think the horse came down and she was just still flying around and then she was riding like a metallic tank at some point and then there was like a voguing moment for all the dancers while she was changing and it was just a really fun time and very yeah it was just everything was great and the the visuals for the costume changes like the interludes and all that those were stunning it was just like the biggest production I've ever seen and then it was funny because Saturday she said during Love on Top she stopped singing during Love on Top and the audience sings the rest of the song I think that started because in Europe, when this first kicked off, the audience was like really low energy. Then the next city she went to during Love on Top, they were like so much better. So she was like, oh, you guys are so much better than the last city. Um, so it became like, a, I think like a, like a competition almost for like audiences. It's it's literally called like the Love on Top like challenge, basically. Oh. So on Saturday, she stopped singing and then she was like, you guys won. And we were like, yeah, we won. And then Sunday, she was like, you guys were even better than last night. But in our section Sunday, our area of the of the, of the the soldier field was kind of like off a beat. And I was like, this hurts my head so much because like I can hear everyone else singing. And oh, then I'm like, no. Ugh. So when she said that, I was like, are you lying? But um, lying. Blue, Ivy, Blue Ivy came out Sunday. She wasn't out Saturday. Oh, I thought she came out for every single show. 
I think I don't she doesn't do like every single one but I don't know why I don't know what you know decision making that is but Saturday she was missing and so it was funny that like Sunday people were texting me like god damn it though there was like a little levy that Beyonce would come in and out on like up and down from the stage and so it was lowered during the song where Blue Ivy comes out and I was like oh she's coming out tonight and she did and I was like we're all like hey I'm like screaming at her and she's like waving at the audience and then starts dancing (laughs) she's such a cutie I can't believe how big she is I mean she's what like a teenager now at this point I think she's I want to say like 12 possibly yeah she got so she's so beautiful and she's Mm -hmm. she's a good little singer and dancer like mom and dad god grammy (laughs) grammy winnings i think actually yeah they won the the song well Mm -hmm. well that's it for me (laughs) yeah no Um, so it's just an amazing like uh and renaissance is my favorite beyonce album so everything about it was just amazing and i would give an arm and a leg my first born anything to see her again i would see her i would see her (laughs) as long as i could forever long she's going to continue you know touring is this your second beyonce tour it's my third third but it was the first one without jay-z so okay it was yeah those were the on the run tour and on the run tour too so oh, this was okay. if there's a time to see beyonce i think it'd be the renaissance tour so for everything sure. about and she opened for herself <laughs> yes i i know that she does like some older songs mm-hmm. like the first half and then the dj goes like welcome to club renaissance or whatever yeah. it is like that just so funny the pre-sale was like the most hectic experience of my life i remember and we spent so me. much money on it just for people the day off to get seats lower than ours for the saturday night show for cheaper but the pre-sale all the stuff happening with like politics and taylor swift's tour and all that was like Ticketmaster fucking sucks <laughs> you know what's funny i know people were always saying like they couldn't get tickets to taylor swift and this and that i don't know a single person on my instagram who has not gone to the taylor swift eras tour i had i have i had friends that went to eras tour in seattle uh the same weekend that beyonce was here in chicago let me sing here as if i'm in chicago but um so a lot of like my Snapchats would be like seeing Taylor turn sideways and the next would be Beyonce turn sideways. So it was just looking at almost like the same picture at first, just based on the angles. Yeah, no, everyone's going to the Aeros tour. And I'm like, okay, so it's not impossible to get tickets. No, done. that's why I was just like, what was the problem then? It's everybody was saying I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. And then I'm just seeing floods of the Aeros tour on my Instagram page. And I'm just like, oh, I guess everybody got to go to this tour then. Yeah, it's it's a crazy time for literally two of the biggest names in music to be touring at the Mm -hmm. same time and just kind of circling around each other yeah um harry styles finally finished his tour that was like 50 decades long at this point oh my god he was still on tour yeah he's been doing this tour for two years jesus christ (laughs) wrap it up already this man was like thank fucking god i'm done with this Oh my god, I did not know that. Go into exile for like five years. Just rest. You're good. We don't need you. <laughs> get some get some sleep, King. Get some, <laughs> get some sleep. I feel like uh, who else is on? Well, Madonna had to postpone her tour for some time because of her bacterial infection. She's she's doing well now. Uh, but yeah, like huge, huge people are going on tour this year. So it's the it's the summer of touring. That was also fun with Renaissance. Is like all the shirts say like spending the summer outside and just like just saying like summer renaissance like stuff like that just very like going outside dancing like it's obviously a stadium tour so it's all outside Mm -hmm. um but soldier field is such a bitch to get out of it's like you have to walk i'm i would say at least over a mile maybe a mile approximately to get to where you can get an uber Mm. because you know how it's like you know i mean you 
you know Chicago obviously so like you know how it, far south it is and it's like isolated from everything else yeah. so you have to basically walk all this fucking way to get to any sort of transportation and I think even for public transportation it's a beast too I had friends take the bus from the concert like after it ended on Saturday and I think they got back at like three in the morning because <gasps> of every single stop along Lakeshore you know what I mean yeah people were like getting on getting off this and that mm-hmm. no thank you that does remind me of leaving Coachella the first time I ever did it I walked I parked so far away that I walked over a mile and then got stuck in the parking lot for two hours and then I did not get home until 4 a.m and then I had to get up and ready and to go at like 10 a.m so it was a tough time oh my god yay yeah I mean just getting out of concerts they need in general wherever you are have a better system please (laughs) but no renaissance was amazing and yeah just adding that with barbenheimer on the literal same weekend it's just like okay I have I'm kind of dead inside now (laughs) and that's my what's popping how about you (laughs) (laughs) well Apparently, there are two more Renaissance albums to come from Beyonce, so that just means that you get two more possible chances to go and see her. I don't even know what Act 2 and Act 3 are. She hasn't even... I thought the visuals would be out before the concert. I don't Mm -hmm. know if the concert's Act 2. We don't know what's going on, so I don't know if there's an album. I don't know if there's just... We're just along for the ride at this point. Drop the visuals already. (laughs) I'm begging you. Do you see that? She was like, you are the visuals, like the audience a couple nights ago. Everyone's like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, what's your what's popping? Well, we do, are not going to have any red carpets or fun press tours to come. So truly the the end times are here and not dear to our hearts. But the slate for the Venice Film Festival came out earlier this week, and there are Plenty of interesting films to look forward to the rest of this year, some that we've already talked about and others that I am like learning about them for the first time. (laughs) Um, But but one of my favorite directors, David Fincher, he has a movie called The Killer, which is going to premiere in the festival. That one stars Michael Fassbender. This just reminded me of, have you seen that compilation video of Wendy Williams talking about The Killer? (laughs) No, I haven't actually. Like she just refers to like, in any situation where like a shady situation she'll just talk about like oh and then the killer will come up behind you so there's just like this that's like the comp the idea of it but there's this compilation video that someone made and it's just like her be like the killer oh the killer the killer the killer, <laughs> <laughs> the killer. <laughs> i love that also apparently another wes anderson film is coming out oh my god Yes, it says, first look at Wes Anderson's The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Dev Patel, Ben Kingsley, and Ray Fiennes. Uh, here we go. <laughs> here we go. Again? I, yeah. I Already? I could not believe that. Uh, and then Poor Things, which we talked about earlier in this episode, that one's going to be premiering there. Ava DuVernay's Origin is going to be playing there. So there are lots of titles bradley cooper and maestro with our mother carrie mulligan doesn't doesn't woody allen have a movie coming out oh i don't know about that i haven't seen anything about that here now that you're talking about this list i also saw the list it's called coup de chance it's a french thriller it's a, well, it looks like it's just a french movie yeah there's no it's not an american movie two young people's bond leads to marital infidelity and ultimately crime it always leads to infidelity doesn't it <laughs> Always leads to infidelity. Well, nobody wants to work with Woody Allen in America anymore, so he just has to resort to the French. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, and then Sofia Coppola's Priscilla, I believe, is opening up the festival, or at least, no, I think it's just among the competition films there, uh, which is very funny considering all of Elvis stuff last year. Now we get the Priscilla stuff. So I'm looking forward to many of these movies, although I don't know when they're going to be released, especially since many of them might be postponed and delayed. So yeah, we'll see how, like we talked about how the rest of this year is going to go because we're really just up in the air. TIFF lineup also came out the other day and that seems pretty solid. But again, don't know when us people at home will be able to watch any of this. No, and the celebrities won't even be there to do anything on the red carpet. So (laughs) no, so it'll be a weird rest of the year, but hopefully they get their strengths figured out sooner rather than later we're begging you guys please (laughs) for us (laughs) well that's going to do it for another episode of weekly pop this one is the the big one that we've been looking forward to and i don't think it disappointed no i can't believe we literally have been talking about barbenheimer for (laughs) almost 20 episodes at this point so it's like oh now what (laughs) Hmm, what's gonna be our new obsession now i don't know figure that out we're gonna have to have a separate board conference meeting about this yeah we'll get the board together we'll get the Oppenheimer board together it's gonna go really well for us (laughs) (laughs) I'm Emma Sasek and I'm Kevin Schwaller and we will see you here next week